Psalm 73, verses 22 through 28. I was senseless and ignorant, and I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me, and afterward, receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Amen. We have been uh, studying Romans chapter 12, the first two verses of Romans chapter 12. We've been going through it kind of slowly. Uh, it's a pretty rich text. It begins with the word therefore, and it's a big therefore because it's the whole first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. So we spent some time talking about that. I think this text is uh, sort of central in our understanding of what it actually means to be a Christian, that is to live the Christian life. And it gives us uh, really sort of a definition of the Christian life. It also is the place where the scripture defines the idea of worship. Here Paul says, because all these things are true that I've explained to you all through the whole book of Romans, because the gospel is true, because the righteousness, the very righteousness of God has been uh, dispensed upon us in Christ by the work of Christ, because the righteousness of God has been or the righteousness of Jesus has been credited to your account because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Because that's true, and because you've received that by faith, you've been justified before God. That is judged righteous. So that when God views you, when God judges you, he judges you according to the righteousness of Jesus, not your own righteousness. And of course, that makes you righteous in the eyes of God. And because these things are true, God has exercised this great and amazing mercy on our lives, in our lives, upon us. There's a response that is called for. And that's what the Romans 12 is about. Romans first 12, well, the rest of Romans is really about that. But the title of the rest of Romans is chapter 1 or chapter 12 verse 1. 
I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So what does it mean to worship? Well, it means to present your bodies a living sacrifice to God. And, uh, you know, another way we could talk about a spiritual service is to call it a reasonable service. In fact, this word in the Greek language is logikos. It's the word we get logical from. And it, it means... A pro, the, the, the reasonable response. And we're going to talk about that word next time, so we'll talk about what spiritual, reasonable means uh, next Sunday. Today, we want to talk about these three descriptions of this sacrifice we are called to make. And I've called the, I've given a title to this section, the Christian religion. And I use that expression because the language of this text is the religious language of the Old Testament. It is when when Paul uses the word sacrifice, he's using the the Greek word that they use to for the sacrifices in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. In Paul's Bible, if you will, this word was used. And the word for uh, worship, the word for service of worship is all one word here. And it is the word that was used in the, in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It is the word that was used for the temple service. Paul's very intentionally here uh, alluding to the Old Testament practices of the temple. Now, the sacrifice of Christ has, in one very large sense, done away with all of that. In fact, if you read the book of Hebrews, you'll find that the sacrifice of Christ is the sacrifice the once and for all sacrifice that renders the temple service unnecessary. And in fact, the temple service was only, according to the book of Hebrews, a shadow of the real thing, which is the Christ presenting his, himself as a sacrifice for sin before God in the heavenly temple. And yet, Paul calls upon us here to make a sacrifice. What's that about? I find it interesting and kind of entertaining that (laughs) he, he says, I urge you, brothers, to present your bodies a sacrifice. Now, in most of the English translations, we put the word living in front of the word sacrifice. So 
I urge you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. And so we have assured ourselves that we don't have to die already when we get to the word sacrifice. But in the Greek Bible, and by the way, in the Papimento Bible, and I, I'm sure in the Spanish Bible and various other languages, it's in the same order as it is in Greek, which is this. I urge you, brothers, to present your bodies a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God. Those three terms describe the sacrifice and they're kind of on an equal footing in their description of the sacrifice. The word living isn't any more important than the word holy or the word pleasing in that description. And they're all describing the sacrifice. Now here's the thing everyone knows about sacrifices, even Romans. Now I think the book of Romans was primarily written to Jewish people who happened to live in Rome, but even the Roman Romans knew what sacrifices were, we don't. Because nobody does this anymore that we know of. There are places in the world, of course, where religions have sacrifices where they kill something for their God. But that's, a, in our minds, a sort of ancient and archaic practice. But I'm telling you, everybody in Rome knew what it was and had seen it happen. One of the controversies Paul will deal with right here in the book of Romans is whether it's okay for a Christian to consume the meat that is the result of sacrifices to idols, false gods, the Roman gods. which was actually the most common way you would get meat. But we think of sacrifice more in sort of uh, abstract terms. Like that was a real sacrifice, we'll say. And we don't mean anyone or anything died normally. But they did, so when they got to the word sacrifice, something was going to die. The sacrifice is an animal slain to honor a deity in one way or another. An offering given to a god. So Paul's saying, look, in view of God's mercy, make yourself a sacrifice. And we talked last time about what your body means. Your body means you. It doesn't mean you sacrifice your body to God, but you retain the you know your soul and spirit. No, it means all of you, all the way out, including your body. And a human being is an embodied person. So, right away, though, he says, living. And we should all go... Okay. Scared me there for a second. A living sacrifice. You know, that's kind of an odd expression because most sacrifices are not living. 
So this is a different kind of sacrifice, a living one. I think what Paul has in mind is exactly what he says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. You know that verse? Galatians 2.20. I should be able to quote it to you, but I'm going to read it to you just to make sure I don't forget something. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live But Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is a a living sacrifice, is is a life that is lived solely as an extension of the life of Christ. Here in the book of Romans, Paul said something very similar in chapter 6 when he says we were united with Christ in his death. So when he says I've been crucified with Christ, that's what he's talking about. That when Jesus died, you died because you are united to Christ. You You could say it like this. I could say, when were you saved? You were saved when Christ died because when Christ died, you died. And then he goes on to say, but then you were raised in Christ because you're united to Christ. So if you, so if you died with Christ, you also were raised with Christ. He repeats this in the book of Ephesians. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive. How? together with Christ. So we've been we've experienced something of the resurrection already. There's more to come. So this is this sacrifice is is the a life lived solely as an extension of the life of Christ, a life that does not belong to the one who lives it. A person, this is a person whose self-understanding is entirely wrapped up in his or her union with Christ. Let me say that again. It's a person whose self-understanding, who am I? Who do I know myself to be? That is entirely wrapped up in my union with Christ. I don't understand who I am apart from him. I, a living sacrifice, accepts the reality of union with Christ. And this is, of course, God's intention in the beginning when he makes man according to his likeness to bear his image. We're always, we were always supposed to walk in active fellowship with God so that we would exhibit the character of God. And so now that I've come to understand that I'm united with Christ, I, 
Who I am is a person united with Christ. The life that I live, it's not my own. It's his life in me, through me. Which, by the way, is way better than how I was operating apart from him. So it's a sacrifice alive. It's also holy. Once again, I got up here to talk about holy, and I didn't bring my toothbrush with me. You remember the toothbrush? Toothbrush is a holy object. Everyone's toothbrush is absolutely reserved to the one person who owns the toothbrush and uses the toothbrush. No one else can use it. It belongs entirely to one person. It is for the one person's service and only the one person's service. And so when I offer my body a living sacrifice holy, that's what it means. That I belong entirely to God. I am only for God and God alone has the right to me. Now that doesn't dissolve me as a person. In fact, it makes me whole again as a person. Because that was God's design from the beginning, that we would be made in his likeness to bear his image. That by walking in fellowship with him, we would exhibit who he is. That's holy. Now, if we talk about this in the religious terms that Paul is using, this is the idea from the Old Testament of what was called a whole burnt offering. In the Old Testament system, there were, multi- there were different kinds of offerings. There was a sin offering that actually atoned for sin, that covered us for sin. That is the offering, by the way, that those offerings are the ones Hebrews is referring to as completely done away with by the sacrifice of Christ because they only were like a sort of a shadow, an image of the real thing, which was the sacrifice of Christ. Nobody in the Old Testament was saved, really, ultimately, by those sacrifices. They're saved by the sacrifices of Christ to which those sacrifice pointed. They're sort of like saying to God, remember Jesus is coming, so don't kill us yet. We believe. So hold off on the wrath for now. That's what those... Because Jesus is coming. Well, now we're living in the Jesus has come age and the sin sacrifice is all the cross of Christ. That's the whole first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. The sin sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice, the justifying sacrifice that actually, actually deals with our problem of rebellion against God. That Hebrews describes as cleansing our consciences before God. 
This is not that. This living sacrifice that we make of our bodies is not that. There's no atonement in it at all. It is because the atonement has already occurred that we even can do this. And so we bring a whole burnt offering. This is in the word holy. A whole burnt offering, what was that about? That was about dedicating ourselves to God and to his covenant. That's what it was about. It was part of what was required in various situations, but it was always voluntary. And it's dedicating, it's consecrating, it's giving ourselves to the one who has atoned us. And here's the thing about the whole burnt offering. Here's why it's called whole burnt, because the whole thing was burnt. It all rose up in the smoke to God. Not a thing was left. This is the concept of holiness. It's something that is completely committed to God. That is what he's calling upon us here. He's saying, look, in view of what God has done, has done, not might do, not could do if you do this. No, already has done. Your, whether you make the sacrifice or not, doesn't change one thing about what he's already done. This is what you do in response. This is the calling of God to say, uh, to, be, to be called here is to give oneself entirely to God in Christ. Not partially, entirely. Not some of the time, all of the time. To trust Him comprehensively is what we're talking about. Here's, here's what we want to do. We want to trust God for this. Okay, and now, okay, and now I'll trust him for this. And then some problem poses itself to me and I trust him for that. And then this and this. I trust him. Oh, I need to... I, I had a problem and now I've learned I need to trust him in this area and in this area. And we piecemeal our trust. Paul says, what really makes sense in view of God's mercy, trust God comprehensively to begin with. Don't wait until you need to trust him. Trust him now. Trust him now. And this is a, a, a religious decision. In other words, I do it again and again. You know, since last Sunday, I forgot. And so I come here this morning and I remember the cross of Jesus Christ and I say again, Oh, I am his. 
entirely. No reservation. Holy. Holy. I can, I don't even, I don't just trust God's in, in Christ for justification from sin. I also trust in God for direction in my daily living. Because who's the better Lord? Now, I Lord myself just fine. Thank you. I do not need, oh, wait, I do need his assistance. He is, he is the Lord. He is the one who knows all, who sees my situation with absolutely perfect clarity and has the necessary wisdom, seeing it clearly, to know what is right and good and beneficial to me. If I'm choosing between his will and mine, if I choose mine, I am the biggest idiot of all. I'm, I'm not trusting him comprehensively. So there is a response to the wisdom of God, the mercies of God in his wisdom in this sacrifice I make, holy. So what we're called upon to do here is take yourself, body and all, and say, here, Lord, you're better at this. I trust you. I trust you. I know I can trust you because for heaven's sake, the sacrifice of Jesus. <laughs> if God freely gave his only son for us, will he not also with him freely give us all things? So if I don't take advantage of my opportunity to present myself to God, to put myself in his hands, to yield my will to his will, I'm just stupid. Then finally, this is pleasing to God. So we present our bodies a sacrifice, alive, holy, pleasing to God. Now, some people might misread this and say, oh, so I have to make myself pleasing to God and then give that as a sacrifice. You know, Jesus has already handled that, hasn't he? That's what the whole book of Romans has been about. If you're worried about whether you're pleasing to God or not, well, if God views you, and when he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ, are you pleasing to God? Yes. Not because there's anything about you, but because you are in him. And because you're in him, you please God, and you can't help it. So we're not talking about you making yourself pleasing to God and then be becoming something like a worthy sacrifice. No, we're talking about you wholly trusting yourself to him, completely trusting yourself to him, comprehensively trusting yourself to him, and that pleases him. It's the act of the sacrifice that is pleasing to God. 
This is reminiscent, this word, this vocabulary in this sentence is reminiscent of the pleasing aroma of the Old Testament burnt offering. God simply enjoys our offering. Now, this is about availability to God. This is about I'm available to God and no one else. This is holy. And that is pleasing to God. It also forms in me, obviously, a personal motive for obedience to God. Does it not? If I say, okay, Lord, you're the Lord and I'm... Well, I can't think of any nice words. So I give myself to you because you're the one who's actually competent and able and wise and loving to run me. Well, if I say that, who's running me? It isn't me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This becomes a way of life that pleases God. The sacrifice that pleases God becomes a way of life that pleases God. This is what the reformers call the third use of the law. It transforms the law from judgment to opportunity. You know, the law of God is an impossible demand on your life. You cannot possibly keep it. You, You can't even begin to keep it. That's kind of the point of it, to frustrate you, to make you need Jesus. But then, when you have Jesus, suddenly all of those judging burdens become positive opportunities. So now, I don't have to tell the truth. I can tell the truth. It's not tell the truth or else. It's the truth is a thing of beauty that I wanted to do, that I see now I can do in him. I present, as he said in chapter 6, my body, my, I yield myself to God as an instrument of his own righteousness. Well, that'll be real, not the phony righteousness I can produce. So we are no longer legalistically working to develop merit in front of God. Instead, we are free to pursue the pleasure of the one we love and worship. We are free to pursue the pleasure of the one we love and worship. In this way, the law of God becomes a guide to our liberation when it used to be a death sentence. So we present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God. Is that hard to do? Now, I just, I hope, I hope, I just explained it in a way that makes it the thing you want to do. 
So you might say, no, it's not that hard. But here's my problem. I always think of, well, what's he going to want? Because he doesn't announce that ahead of this. Other than to say, whatever he wants, it'll be good for you. Do I trust him? Do I trust him? That's the only issue, isn't it? Do I trust him? Is it hard to do? Next time we're going to talk about the, how it only makes sense. So how... Here's, here's my thing. I thought, okay, I'll present my body a living sacrifice, but then God might send me someplace I don't want to go. God might do something like send me to some desert island in the South Caribbean. He might do something like that. Here's, my, here's what makes it hard. I don't like letting go of the position of Lord. Makes me nervous. So all of this has to be in view of God's mercy. You always have to pile it up against, wait, God loves you. God loves you and loved you in Christ beyond your wildest dreams. God loves you. And God has your good in mind, like the psalm, the nearness of God is my good. What that means is the thing I prize is actually to be with him. Not that being with him gives me some other good thing, but he's the good thing. If you're justified by faith, reconciled to God in Christ, if you're united to Christ in his death and resurrection, if you're born again to new life in Christ, God has laid claim on you. God has claimed you already if you are in Christ. So when we present our bodies a living sacrifice, all we're doing is recognizing in our own thinking the righteousness of that claim. All I'm doing when I present my body a living sacrifice is saying, when God claimed me, that was real. That counted. I am his. I belong to him. And, you know, whenever I stop and think about it, where else would I want to be? You remember when Jesus said to the disciples, when people were leaving Jesus, because Jesus wasn't always that friendly, and he would say confusing things, and people couldn't stand listening to him, so they left, and he says to the disciples, so, you guys leaving too? You remember what Peter said on their behalf? We have nowhere else to go. 
You have the words of eternal life. So, really, when I present my body a living sacrifice, I'm simply confessing to be true something that was already true. I already belong to God because of the sacrifice of Christ. He bought me. I am his. He has laid his claim upon me, period. And all I'm called upon to do in this text is keep remembering that reality and keep deciding you're going with it. This is a decision you make in response to God's mercy. It's a conscious choice to make in view of God's mercy. I, I have been claimed by God. I am His. He is mine. I present myself to Him. He can do whatever He wants with me. That's what we're talking about. Father, we thank You for Your grace that makes these things possible. Lord, it can be uh, scary to us to trust someone else in such a radical way. But Lord, we have come to believe that it's in trusting you that we are born again and that we are alive, that we are connected to the very source of all things, that we have righteousness, that we can be righteous, that we can walk in newness of life. Father, we want to seize that opportunity. We want to trust you completely, which we can only do in Jesus' name. Amen.